Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. Mark Steiner Show and conversations like this are brought to you in part by the Maryland State Education Association. From limiting over-testing to protecting public school funding, you can learn more about the issues facing Maryland students, parents, and schools by visiting the Maryland State Education Association's website at marylandeducators.org. That's marylandeducators.org. Or signershow.org is the Maryland State Education Association's banner. We are here with Karen York, who is Director of Policy and Strategic Partnerships for the Jobs Opportunities Task Force. Karen, good to see you in the studio. Morning. I like your haircut. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you. Uh, and Davon Loves with us, Director of Research and Public Policy for Leaders of a Beautiful Struggle. Davon, good to see you as well. Thanks for having me on. We're going to tackle bail reform. 410-319-8888, your thoughts and ideas as we tackle this. Uh, you can also tweet us at Mark Steiner. Send an email to talk at steinershow.org. Log on to our Facebook pages, but do join in, 410-319-8888. We want to hear your thoughts about how this whole has affected your life, your family, your community. You're thinking about all this. So let me ask a broad question to, to, to both of you first. Um, we've covered this issue of 24 years we've been on the air. Mm-hmm. It's been an issue every year in the General Assembly since I started this radio show mm-hmm. uh, 24 years ago. Um, and I, I wonder if we, if, if there's consensus, and let's start with you, Karen, mm-hmm. that, we, that, that, that money bill should be eliminated, period. So the short answer is no. No. You there, think there should be money bail? There, no. That's, I'm answering your question of is there consensus <laughs> around whether or not money bail should be eliminated. Um, And there is not consensus. Uh, You have um, individuals, whether they are policymakers, whether they are advocates, whether they are, um, you know, experts, community folks, whatever, um, who, while acknowledging that um, money bail uh, is um, disproportionately impacting poor defendants, Um, there isn't consensus around whether or not it should be completely eliminated. Um, And that's what the current discussion is right now in the legislature. The question is, do we think, I mean, I'm very clear about it after all these years of covering where I stand on this issue. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, but it seems to me, Davon, I mean, one of the things that, that, um, you know, how they say partners in crime, I'm going to call me a partner in justice, Mm -hmm. not crime. Mm -hmm. Your partner in justice, Adam Jackson, posted on Facebook in 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 a kind of a scathing, attack on certain politicians and on um, the industry itself was the, you know, the, this, this dinner that the bail bondsman threw for the people on that Judiciary Committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, but So the yeah, question so is, do, do, do we need, why are we arguing the point whether or not we need, why are advocates arguing about whether to, to kind of go slow about bail reform when people like Delegate Moon from Montgomery County are saying, end it by 2020, end cash bail, Replace it with a pretrial system uh, and systems that evaluate people. Judges can say, no, you can stay in jail because you are a dangerous community. You're not coming out. There is no bail. But for everybody else, let the court decide what, what has to happen. Well, why, why, why are we piddling around with this? So, so I think in principle, I think many of us would agree that the idea of cash bail is a very antiquated you know, system. Um, that money should not be the determining factor as to whether or not you are detained pretrial. And that the, to, to whatever extent we can take the profit motive out of the criminal justice system is better for, for everybody. The, the analogy that I've made in several, in several testimony on the issue, you know, the outgoing Obama administration 
took a stance against private prisons, you know, because it be it, it right. introduces a market incentive um, to to advance mass incarceration, which we all see has disproportionately affected people of color. Similarly, the bail bonds industry is one that profiteers off the suffering of black people, off of mass incarceration. Um, and so essentially what we're looking to do um, legislatively is start to make the moves necessary to render cash bail obsolete. Because we think that if we have a legislative thrust, um, you know, we had the Court of Appeals ruling last month that essentially said that, you know, essentially said to instructing judges to avoid the use of cash bail, that if we can demonstrate that there are mechanisms for dealing with pretrial that do not require cash bail, right, that we can render it obsolete. Um, unfortunately, given the political climate of Annapolis, which is a very conserv- politically conservative place, mm-hmm. the idea of eliminating cash bail, even that notion as a tagline, is something that is off-putting to even legislators that would find it reasonable, this idea of just making cash bail obsolete. So, so that's, been a, that's been just in terms of a real political reality. Um, we've just had to navigate a, a context where just the notion of eliminating cash bail, there's, there's all this um, propaganda around the notion of, of, of eliminating cash bail being this kind of open door for dangerous folks to you know, flood our communities. Right, right. Um, and, it's, and, and it's been a very successful propaganda tactic. Um, but again, our hope is to, and, and we're pushing, you know, Karen and I have been advocating, others have been advocating for legislation that, that as far as we're, con- we can, we're concerned, would prioritize non-financial conditions in such a way that it would render cash bill obsolete. So I don't know if you want to, you know, talk about the difference between right. what we're working on and what... But it's very different than Moon's bill, which would end by 2018 all cash bail and do Absolutely. risk assessments and not and not allow judges to set bail, but they could say you're a danger and you're not getting out of jail. Mm-hmm. Right. So just, just to take a, a quick step back, just to provide a bit of a context, um, there were a group of lawmakers over the summer uh, that requested that our Attorney General Brian Frosch um, issue an opinion regarding whether or not Maryland's current pretrial system, um, whether the rule, de- the rules determining how judges set um, bail, whether or not it was being applied in a constitutional manner. Um, Attorney General Brian Frosch opined that, um, unfortunately, the way our rule is being applied um, is arguably unconstitutional because, um, unfortunately, judges and commissioners were not taking um, an individual's, a defendant's ability to pay into account when they were setting amounts. So as a result of that ruling, the Maryland Court of Appeals then took the issue up. And over a number of months, um, on February, after a number of months on February 7th, the Maryland Court of Appeals, uh, Maryland Court of Appeals, our highest court, unanimously ruled that judges and judicial officers must consider a person's ability to pay before they set money bail amounts. And so as a result of that ruling, and this is, uh, to be clear, unanimous court ruling, bipartisan ruling of judges that came together and say, not only do we want to ensure that individuals, you know, are not being unnecessarily detained because of, you know, monetary restrictions, but we also want to make sure that we're not releasing dangerous individuals back out into the community because they have the monetary means to be able to pay. And so as a result of that, as a result of that ruling, 
We now have a number of pieces of legislation that have been introduced during this legislative session in response to this ruling. And amongst these pieces of legislation, um, while of, you mentioned Delegate Moon's bill that would you know, call for the um, complete elimination of cash right. bill by 2018, there are two pieces of legislation which you know, are, are pretty much the two most contentious pieces of legislation um, this legislative session. Um, the first piece of legislation is the um, bill House Bill 1390, Senate Bill 880, sponsored by Delegate Eric Barron and over 70 uh, legislators in the um, House of Delegate and Senator Kelly on the Senate side, um, Senate Bill 880. This is the piece of legislation. We'll call this the, quote unquote, the progressive legislation. Okay, this is the bill that would codify into law the court ruling in addition to allowing for community based, um, regularly validated evidence, um, risk based um, uh, risk assessment tools that judges and court commissioners will use to determine whether or not someone should be detained or released. And they would also provide um, resources and support for pretrial services in counties um, with a delayed effective date so that counties that don't have this can make this happen. The other, the alternate piece of legislation in diametric opposition is House Bill 1215, Senate Bill 983. Which is the bail um, bondsman. Let's be very clear about it. This is the bail bondsman bill. This is the bill that is drafted and is being pushed by the end industry. And they are using tactics that they've used in other states very successfully to target certain entities, to target certain legislators to push this. And their bill in and of itself effectively would undo the court rule, putting non-financial conditions on the same footing as cash bill. So it would not require judges and commissioners to consider non-financial conditions before a monetary bail. It would continue to perpetuate and allow the current system as it currently stands. So, uh, so a couple of questions here, and I have, I have a lot of questions here about this. And, folks, I do want you to join us at 410-319-8888. I want your thoughts and ideas. I know that some of you brothers out there who run the bail industry listen to the show. Call on in at 410-319-8888. Uh, people who have been affected by the system, your families, and not just maybe your families personally, but your community. 410-319-8888. Your thoughts and ideas about where this should go, why it exists. Uh, you can also tweet us at Mark Steiner. You can log on to our Facebook pages, send an email to talk at org. But I really want to hear your thoughts at 410-319-8888. So it is a powerful lobby. I mean, unless I have this wrong, I don't know, one of the NAACP chapters testified for the bail bondsman. Uh the Urban League testified for the bail bondsman? So the Do state, I have that right so, or wrong? So the state and the ACP has, has written testimony in support of House Bill the 1215. State. The state and the ACP. Um, so that's Gerald Stansberry. Um, the Greater Baltimore Urban League, J. Howard Henderson, testified in support of 1215. And the arguments were what? That I'm bill. sorry I mean to cut you off. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, what you were just saying. The local national chapter of the National Action Network. Um, led by Larry Young, you know, is on the record um, as supporting House Bill 1215. And they also flew somebody from the Southern Christian, the National Southern Christian Leadership Conference. The president and CEO, the Charles Steele. To come and testify in support of House Bill 1215, which which strikes me as beyond ridiculous that they would, you know, come and, and support it. But it speaks to the point you're making about how powerful the lobby is, right? Because... I think what has happened is is that there are a group of black folks that have some financial interest who've been essentially paid off to try to bring elements of the black community to support. Um, and just to give you your, your listening audience, just the, the, the level of money this industry has in Maryland, since 2011, this industry has made over a quarter of a billion dollars. 
They've made $75 million off of folks who've been convicted of nothing, right? So so not including people who are convicted of something, minor, people who are convicted of nothing. Who are in jail on charges and had to get fined bail to get out. Right. Right. $75 million. So that's and then the, are found, you know, either right. charges are dropped or found not guilty. Right. right. So that's so that's the level of, of money and resources we're talking. And we've been very explicit with our criticism of the general with of certain members of the General Assembly and aspects of the traditional civil rights organiz, uh, civil rights organizations. What I will say, and I think something that I would really urge your listeners to do. So Delegate Kurt Anderson is the House sponsor of House Bill 1215. And as Karen mentioned, this is a bill that not only is a bad bill, it's a bill that is a dangerous bill. It undoes the Court of Appeals ruling. And we would actually urge your listeners to go after Kurt Anderson and ask him to withdraw House Bill 1215. Because if Kurt Anderson wanted to, because he's the lead sponsor on that bill, he could withdraw the bail bonds industry's bill, right, and effectively nullify the major effort that's afoot to undo the court ruling. And I, I, we're amiss here, I guess, for, for not having Kurt and others on the show right now, which I should have done, but I wasn't, got so crazy, wasn't thinking about it. So Kurt and the others, I apologize, I should have you on the show, because so, I would want to know what their arguments are. Mm-hmm. Well, the, I mean, What's the argument? Right, so, I mean, um, and just speaking specifically to the gentleman who was flown in from Atlanta, the president CEO, um, of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference before the House Judiciary Committee, and I mean, this is on the record, his argument as to why um, the SCLC, um, SCLC supports House Bill 1215 was that, and I quote, bail reform is racist. Who said this? This is the president and CEO of the Southern Christian Leadership but what, Conference. Why is it racist? He didn't really elaborate, Mark. There's okay? no good argument You're, that's you're trying presented. to be logical here. There's no good argument that's yeah. presented by any of the traditional civil rights organizations or any of the members of the Black Caucus or, or legislators who supported 1215. I, we've not received any real – I mean, and that's the thing that's been so insane about this whole ordeal over the past couple of weeks – I mean, typically in work that we've done in the past on some of these issues, there are there are arguments that are in the opposition that we can kind of deal with, right? That we're clear what is the nature of the argument that that is, that is on the opposition side. The traditional civil rights organizations that we listed, and some of the black legislators that are co-sponsors, supportive of of House Bill twelve fifteen. I mean, literally, we've received no credible argument. The best argument we received is it says, well, there's certain nonviolent misdemeanors, right, that are automatically a person's release on reconnaissance. But if you read the bill, there's so many exceptions to what those misdemeanors would be that it actually would only affect a very small number of people. Right. So so that's I mean, that's part of the issue is that there is there has just not been a, a very good credit. I mean, I'd, I'd be open to, to hopefully someone calling in and giving your listeners what is the credible argument in defense of 1215 as a an example of meaningful bail reform. And, you know, Mark, a lot of, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, when we try to engage in um, discourse around support for 1215. You know, we get hit with the public safety argument. Oh, well, we don't, you know, we need cash bail because, you know, we have to keep our dangerous offenders and we can't, you know, just let everyone out. And and what's interesting and, and what's most frustrating is that 
House Bill 1390 and Senate Bill 880 seeks to achieve exactly what they are claiming that they also want to achieve. You know, we, you know, our bill, one, um, in addition to codifying the rule, ensures that things such as a risk assessment tool is crafted in a way so that certain questions are asked. So for those dangerous individuals, if you truly are a danger, you're going to be detained because really no amount of money is going to make you less dangerous. Just think about it. You've identified someone as a danger. You are so dangerous that we're going to give you, say, a $2 million bond. Okay, You make that. And because you make that, you can now be released. So we are now releasing a dangerous individual back into the community because they found the money to be able to make that. Which, How does that way, make any sense? Which has happened a lot with with a number of people who Absolutely. have been involved in the drug industry who have killed other human beings in our community. They have gotten out of jail because mm-hmm. they can they can figure out a way to have people on the outside and say, we can put this $200,000 together on your $2 million bail and get you out. I mean, that has happened mm-hmm. and happens probably too much. And mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to – that's why but, this system is such in, is, is in need of reform so that we can avoid that as much as possible. Because, you know, our, our judges also don't want that as well. So in the, the political question, so if – the bail bonds industry, in all their power, has, and we've had the head of the bail bonds industry on here, and I've known him for a long time, and he's actually been a friend of mine for a long time before he became a bail bondsman. So. No, some of them are like, you know, they're, great, no, 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 they're you people, know, they're great people. It's nothing no, against, it's yeah, not personal. I, I, and No, it's not personal. Yeah. Um, it, but, but, you know, so if, if that power is so great and that their bill actually has a chance of passing, which is one argument I've heard from people down there, then... Um, why? I mean, well, let me take a step back. So, what do you think the chances of their bill passing? Where do you where do you put it in terms of the battle back and forth, around delegates and senators? You're lobbying. I mean, where do you where do you see this at this moment? How critical? How close is it? I mean, Karen and I were actually just talking a, a few minutes ago. I mean, our fear we need to kill twelve fifteen. We need to kill House Bill twelve fifteen. Our fear is that because the chairman of the judiciary on the House side um, is Valerio. A Valerio is a co-sponsor of 1215, and we, we're fearful that he may have the votes to, to move that bill, um, which is why I kind of mentioned earlier that, that, that you know, Delegate Anderson um, could, you know, strike a blow to the bail bonds industry by withdrawing the bill, and if we can put enough pressure on him to withdraw the bill. Um, and, and in addition to that, just talking to legislators to... You know, at least get the ones that are on the fence off of supporting 1215. Um, because like Karen said, if 1215 passes, it it undoes the Court of Appeals, mm-hmm. the, the and, ruling. And to, and to be clear, Mark, you know, you there are a, many legislators in Annapolis that represent, um, <clears throat> you know, jurisdictions across the state, many of them with sizable black populations that, you know, deep down inside truly want to see um, effective reform in our pretrial system. Um, But to be clear, because this is such an emotional, controversial um, issue, and because you have this powerful industry, um, many of them are, you know, they are being misled. They're being misguided and they're being duped into believing that this, the product of what the bail bond industry is presenting before them is actually going to be most beneficial to their communities. And so we're hoping, you know, through this, through this, you know, segments like this and, you know, conversations and hearings and discussions that we can better educate and show the differences between these two competing, you know, bills. Because, I mean, look, both of these bills are led by members of the Black Caucus. 
caucus, you know, they're respected members in the General Assembly and never want to doubt, you know, their their, you know, their interest in seeing a more effective, you know, just pretrial system. However, if you continue to strongly support a bill that is so clearly supported and pushed by the bail bond industry, then it's very hard to it's very hard to to say that you're truly for pretrial reform. So what the bills you're trying to push for pretrial reform, what are they and who's backing them? Where is it? So 1390. So, I mean, like Karen said, it's 1390, which is the bill that we've been working on that essentially said it, it, it codifies the Court of Appeals ruling. Exhaust all non-financial conditions before you even consider cash bail. Requires the jurisdictions develop risk assessment tools that are both um, uh, publicly vetted, collaboration with local academic institutions to help validate risk assessment tools that can make determinations about who remains detained, who gets out. Um, so, so again, those are the two bills that are have been that have risen to the top essentially as the bills that folks are talking about. Um, the reason why we, we again we've had to kind of pivot toward this idea of killing twelve fifteen is because it, it it has a significant amount of support in the general assembly. What's also been really frustrating is the unwillingness, I think, of many of our elected officials to be clear and honest about where their support lies. Right, because there was a, a black caucus meeting um, this past Thursday, and you know one of the things that state or city. The State? legislative black caucus. Yeah, okay, all of it. Yeah, and um, and so one of the things that was clear that the attorney general Frosch was there and testified, and one of the things that he made very clear was that that we needed to kill House Bill twelve fifteen, and one of the things that has been really frustrating is given that. You know, we've said that 1215 undoes the court rule and that it's dangerous. But the attorney general has said undo the court rule and that it's dangerous. That it, it, it's really frustrating that particularly black legislators would even be considering House Bill 1215 and passing it. And, the, and that the black caucus needs to take a lead in killing 1215 to make sure that it doesn't pass, to make sure that it doesn't have the votes. And there are members of the legislative black caucus uh, that are on the committee, right? That can, that that'll have influence over whether or not this bill can get out of committee. And so, our hope is that the Black Caucus will take the lead, both on killing twelve fifteen for us. That's a priority at this point, and then look at pushing thirteen ninety. Um, so that's kind of where we're at at, at the moment. But at at the end and, and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what should be of utmost importance to those that you know, are truly for judicial officers and judges exhausting all non-financial conditions before considering a monetary bail, at the end of the day, your up, of utmost importance should be ensuring that nothing, nothing is done to that court rule. Nothing is done to that. Because the court rule hasn't taken effect, Mark. It does not take effect until July. And so right now, that's what's going on right now, a huge effort to dismantle that rule before it even takes effect. So if you are someone who's 
states that you are in support of non-financial conditions being considered before a monetary bail. If you are in support of no money bail being, you know, considered for individuals who truly are a danger, if you are in support of community um, community-based services and programs being incorporated into our pretrial services to ensure that those individuals sitting pretrial who need it can get it, then there's no way that you should be supporting 1215 because that's not what that does. If you are in support of that, if you are in support of that, then you should be supporting, if you're going to support a bill, you should be supporting Senate Bill um, 880 and House Bill 1390. So are you saying the majority of the Black Caucus supports the bill? Well, we haven't we haven't really polled know, them. We, don't know. we haven't polled we don't know. them. You know, we don't. I, I don't think that neither one of us can state um, what the position of the Black Caucus is. Right. This past Thursday, um, they dedicated the entire meeting to um, bail reform. As Davon mentioned, Attorney General Frosch was there. Um, uh, Delegate Barron presented his bill, and the Office of the Public Defender presented slides from um, a report that they've done, the High Cost of Bail, very compelling slide showing the impact of bail on black and not just black and white communities, but you know, blacks are paying more in terms of bail premiums than both whites Asian, Hispanics, combined, combined. So, I mean, you know, and and in addition to that, you also had members of the Bail Bondsman Association that presented, you know, 1215. They also flew in the, instead of the president of the SCLC, they flew in the board president of the SCLC who claimed that he had marched with Martin Luther King Jr. and Selma, you know, we were supposed to, you know, be like, oh. Um, But, yeah. So, that's what we're dealing with. So, uh, folks, 410-319-8888 uh, is the number here. I mean, I, I know that, I mean, there have been people around like the public defenders and people like Doug Colbert who have been fighting against this kind of money mm-hmm. bail for a long, long time in the state. Um, and you've got people like Moon who have this bill out saying, kill it now. Is it your argument that to back a Moon bill would be counterproductive, that the only way you can do this is to do it by a bill that kind of gradually ends it? Yeah, I mean, I think the propaganda from the bail bonds industry has been so powerful that the tagline ending cash bail creates a kind of hysteria that that loses us some of the kind of moderate legislators that would listen but are quite frankly freaked out by the notion of ending cash bail mm-hmm. so so that's why that we've been supportive of 1390 for the purpose of saying let's create a formula where if we do what we're supposed to do in terms of advocating for more pretrial services, effectively looking at risk assessment tools, that we could render cash bail obsolete and get to a place where if there are a few models, a few jurisdictions that kind of rise to the top as examples, because there are places where cash bail, where ending cash bail without doing some of the preparatory work in terms of pretrial services has, has not been entirely effective, right? That in places that have ended cash bail, there have been some, you know, some issues. And so we want to make sure that in terms of politics, not in terms of the principle, because I think in principle we agree mm-hmm. that we should we need to get cash out of the pretrial system. Um, it's really a question of making sure politically we can lay the groundwork to eventually end mm-hmm. cash bail. And the Black Caucus has, you know, as one of their, I think they have five or six legislative priorities. As one of their legislative priorities, you know, in their defense, they have identified bail reform as one of their key legislative priorities. But as we all know, with many of these issues, the devil is always in the details. And as Davon was getting to, it's just a matter of ensuring that support um, and, you know, deliberate attention and, and focus is given to the piece of legislation that truly is. Um, beneficial to the communities and and truly ensures a just, effective pre-process. So what is it you think that happened in this session that's made it so difficult to get through given all the pressure? I mean, it's when you start out with Brian Frosch's 
uh, mm-hmm. rulings and statements. When you look at the Court of Appeals, mm-hmm. I mean, there was a kind of a momentum and a wave of saying, okay, it's time to reform the system. Right. But something really stopped. So that what stopped was, um, I don't think it's that anything stopped. I think Not stopped is probably the wrong right, word. But, but, uh, but exactly what you said, I think, is what kind of... Um, is, is causing all of, you know, this tension and hostility. Never before, I mean, as you said, Mark, we've been discussing in this state, this isn't the first time we've no, discussed no. pretrial reform, right? Commissions, governor's task force, all types of legislation and studies have, you know, around how Maryland can do this right, okay? But it wasn't until this year, it wasn't until, you know, this past summer where it actually seemed as if something was actually going to happen in the state. You had the attorney general's opinion and then followed up with the court of appeals ruling. That freaked out the bail bond industry. So they started to funnel a ton of money in the state to ensure that whatever was whatever train was moving was halted immediately. So that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing a reaction to our successes, our successes thus far. And the two people who run the committees in the Senate and the House, uh, Delegate Valerio, who runs the committee that, that and, and also Senator Bobby Zirkin, on the other side, right, in yeah. the Senate. I mean, and and uh, that people argue that they have ties, they receive money from the bail bonds. Is that right. true or is correct. that just, do we just say that as conjecture? Right, that's correct. I mean, they both I don't, What do you mean it's correct? They were, I mean, there was a common cause of the report where they investigated the amount of money that both were receiving, both Valerio and Zirkin, um, and they found that they are the second they are the second and third in terms of the amount of contributions made by bail bondsmen in the United States. And this is the common cause. Not Maryland. Not Maryland. Country. In the United States, second and third. I don't know which order, but second and third. And so when you, have you sat down with either the, 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 uh, the chairperson to talk to him about? So I've actually sat down with Senator Zirkin and had a conversation with him. Where And, and you know, a part of what, what he says is that what he says to me is is that he's he's willing to look at bail reform. He's willing to look at you know the the plethora of options. When I explained to him our legislative priorities, he seemed to be you know okay with it. Of course, there's diff- a difference between having a conversation with me and what you actually do. You know, so we're hopeful um, that we can you know put some pressure on him to do the right thing. Um, but that but that has been really the pattern during this general assembly. I mean, people who we feel like our champions are people who've been good on certain issues, um, being really hesitant on this in ways that have been really disappointing, particularly in one of the tactics that the bail bonds industry has deployed is targeting black elected officials. They know this is the issue that most directly affects black folks and that they really have targeted black people um, with some kind of significant platform. That's And again, I think that's why the traditional civil rights organizations have have supported House Bill 1215. It's a part of the bail bonds industry strategy. To dilute the right, racial justice to, argument. Right, to, to, to try to dilute, you know, black folks um, in our support of genuine pretrial reform. Um, I was really, um, I, what I was, was so stunning to, to me was the, the numbers of people from that world, that, from the civil rights world, that actually came out to testify in, in favor of the bondsman's bill. I was, that was... Shocked you. We were like... What? Painful. I, I, it was painful. I, for, I, that took me maybe take a step backwards. And I all the way from Atlanta. Painful. Painful. And this and this tactic has actually been you know it was deployed in New Jersey. If you if you but it won in New Jersey. It it did eventually. New Jersey was successful in terms of pretrial reform. Um, however, you know in the lead up to it, if you look at you know what they had to go through, you'll see that the same bail bondsmen. 
um, or the same representatives, the same lobbyists that are here now operating um, against our efforts or they were there in New Jersey. The same ones were in New Jersey and the same ones were flying up, you know, Charles Steele from the Southern Christian Leadership Conference up from Atlanta up to New Jersey. So, I mean, like this, this we're, we're not surprised. We aren't shocked. I mean, this isn't, you know, new. This is something that they do. Um, it's just a matter of ensuring that, you know, folks don't fall for it. So we have 28 days. What's your strategy about these next 28 days? So, um, Kurt Anderson, you know, if you're listening, all your listeners, we need to get him to withdraw 1215. If he were to do that, that would solve a lot of our problems and would create an atmosphere where we potentially have more support for 1390. Um, Also, the Black Caucus, my understanding is they may vote on what bill to support this Thursday. Um, so, folks, you know, call, yeah, particularly legislators that are members of the Legislative Black Caucus, get them to support 13, House Bill 1390. Um, and lastly, the, the committees. Um, you know, it's going to be very important that people reach out to legislators, particularly that are on both the Senate Judicial Proceedings Committee and the House Judiciary Committee, um, and really get your legislators to kill f- f- uh, 1215. That they 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 vote no on 1215 under all under all circumstances um, and support 1390. Well, we're going to continue covering this uh, at, at between now and the end of the session, and um, because we think it's important, we've had the bail bonds people on here. I'm really curious to have on some of the leaders of the Black Caucus, Kurt Anderson, and I go back along forever. I'd like to hear his thoughts on this and other people's thoughts on this as well. But where we, where where this goes, I want to thank both of you for being here. Dave On Love is director of research. In public policy for leaders of a beautiful struggle. It was good to have in the studio. Dave, on thank yep, you so much. Karen York is director of policy and strategic partnerships for the Jobs Opportunities Task Force. Always good to have you in the studio. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Mark. And we will continue to take a look at this. I think that it's uh, one of the most critical issues that we face. And thank you all for being part of the show today. The Mark Steiner Show is a production of the Center for Emerging Media. Our senior producer is Mark Gunnery. Our producer is Amani Spence. Our research producer is Calvin Perry. Our production assistant is Nadia Ramlagan. Our intern is Morgan Senior Michael Dixon. Our engineer is Andre Melton. Theme music by Wal Matthews of Twin Cuts. Send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at SteinerShow.org, to podcast at Steiner Show, and share it with your friends. This is on the web. We use your favorite podcasting app, podcasting app. And for your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. I'm Mark Steiner, and let your voice be heard. Take care.